Good morning. It's great to see everybody. My name's Elliot. I'm the uh, Connection Pastor here. And today we are, like Dale said, continuing our series, Locally Grown. And in this series, we've been looking at the agricultural illustrations that Jesus would give to explain how the gospel would spread. The gospel is the good news, the good news of who God is and what he's done, the impact that he can have on a life. And so often when Jesus would be explaining how that message was going to spread, he would use these agricultural illustrations. And so far, what we've seen in this series is that God's plan to help people come to know him has always been a locally grown plan. His plan has never been to just limit the communication of what God's done and who he is to a few paid professionals who are highly trained. His plan has always been to involve individuals in the process, individuals just like you, just like me, with the people that he's placed around us in helping them come to know who he is. It's a task that he's given to all of us as his followers. And then last week, we looked at his illustration of the seed, and we saw the power and the purity of the seed. Specifically, what is it that has the power to change a person's life? Something that seems so small, and and you wonder, is this really going to make that much impact? But then in the end, it completely transforms who they are. So we looked at that last week, and today, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into another one of his um, illustrations, and we're going to see what we can expect when we tell other people about Jesus. When we communicate our faith, what is it that we can expect? There's a parable that Jesus tells. It's referred to as the parable of the sower. And in this, Jesus kind of points out some different things that we can expect as we share our faith. This is what he says in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 3. He says this. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Now, after Jesus tells this parable to a large group of people, he's alone with his closest followers, his disciples, later in the day. So they ask him, hey, help us understand the parable. And so then he explains it, and he explains the different elements of the parable. And in doing it, he really kind of paints a picture for all of us to see as we engage in this process, this locally grown process of helping people come to know him, what is it that we can expect? Now, expectations are important, and having accurate expectations are important really in every area of life. And we've all experienced something like this where you have really high expectations, but then what you go through doesn't meet your expectations. So that gap is disappointment or frustration or annoyance or whatever. And then there's other times where we maybe have really low expectations. And then we experience something above our expectations and we're pleasantly surprised. We're happy with the results and what happened. And this happens to me a lot when it comes to movies. I'll see a a trailer or a commercial on TV and I'll think, that's going to be a great movie. And I'll start to get all excited. And so, you know, I'll go and I'll be like, you know what? I'm not going to wait for Redbox or Netflix. I'm going to go to the theater and see this. It's going to be that good. Then I go see the movie and I walk out and I'm like, that wasn't that great. That was a waste of money. Why did I go see that? And was it that the movie was bad or was it just that, you know, my expectations were up here and it fell below my expectations. And so I was, you know, a little annoyed that it wasn't quite what I thought it would be. And then there's other movies that, honestly, I kind of have to be coerced into seeing. Like one of those was the movie The Greatest Showman. It's a musical. I'm not really that into musicals. But it was my wife's birthday. and She really wanted to see it. So I was like, all right, you know, we'll go see it. So I walked into the theater thinking, okay, like, you know, just get through it an hour and 45 minutes, and then we're good to go. 
And I was pleasantly surprised. I walked out of the theater and I was like, you know what, that movie, that wasn't half bad. And we've all experienced this with our expectations. I mean, it could be in parenting, it could be in marriage, it could be with your health, it could be with finances. Well, we've all experienced this. And so oftentimes what this will cause us to do is we'll try to either have no expectations, which is actually impossible, or we'll, we'll have really low expectations. And if we're not careful with that, we can kind of become like an Eeyore character from Winnie the Pooh, where we're just kind of like, well, this is life. And we'll just kind of think, you know, well, if I just have really low expectations about everything, and then life is kind of average, well, then maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. Because we know, you know, if you have like, you know, super high expectations and life doesn't meet those, well, then, you know, you're going to be disappointed. What's interesting is the Bible actually speaks into what our expectations should be and addresses what we should attach our expectations to. And it says that we should actually attach our expectations to reality, specifically who God is, how he's designed this world to work, who we are, what are the, what are the problems that we face, what's the focus of our life supposed to be. We're supposed to our, attach our expectations to what God has revealed in his word, the Bible. And that's how we're supposed to navigate life based on what he said. And when it comes to this locally grown plan that we've been talking about, this plan he has of helping people come to know him, and when it comes to our participation in that plan, this parable that we just read, this parable of the sower, Jesus really points to some really important expectations that we can have as we join him in this. So that's what we're going to ask this morning. We're going to ask, what can you expect as you do your part to help people come to know who he is, participate in God's plan? What can you expect? Well, the first thing is you can expect to open your mouth kind of comes without saying, but you can expect to open your mouth. If you want to be a part of this plan, you're going to have to open your mouth. If you want to help people enter into a relationship with Jesus, it's going to come to a point where you're going to have to get specific and explain to him, hey, this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. This is how he's changing my life. When Jesus explains the parable, he, he explains what the different elements in the parable are. So in one passage, he says this in Luke 8, he says, the seed is the word of God. That's the message that we're conveying to other people, just like Bevan talked about last week. That's what we're communicating. But because it's the word of God, that's, spe- that's specific, and we need to realize that because what this is saying is the message, it doesn't have its origin in us. This isn't something that we made up. God's the one who communicated originally the plan of salvation. He's the one who spoke, and he said, hey, here's how life works, and here's what's most important, and here's what you're supposed to live for, and here are the problems that you face. He's the one that communicated all that stuff originally. And then it's been written down and passed down through the generations so that we can learn this stuff and become aware of it. But it has its origin in him. So when we're communicating with other people, what we're communicating are not just our ideas or our opinions or our thoughts, but we are repeating what God has already said. It's his word, and now we're the messengers of it to relay that to other people. It has its origin in him. We didn't make this up. Another place, Jesus explains what the soil is. He says this in Matthew 13. He says that the seed is sown in their hearts. What he's pointing out is this is what the soil is. The soil is a person's heart. That's where the message goes. And when he identifies in the story four responses people have to God's word, and then he talks about the good soil, and he talks about when, when the seed goes into the good soil, it, it germinates, and it starts to grow, and it produces fruit, and it brings change in the person's life, a change that starts on the inside. But he, he highlights something that's really important for us to pay attention to. 
he explains how the God's words, how the message, the seed, is going to make its way into somebody's heart. And over and over again in the parable, he uses the word hear. Somebody has to hear it. They have to use their ears. So somebody else has to open their mouth and explain to them, hey, this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is what it means to follow him. So if this life-transforming, life-giving message that God's revealed is going to make its way into another person's heart, somebody who we care about and we want to see them experience this, it's going to require you and me opening our mouths and getting specific and, and relaying to them what God has already said and what he's already revealed. Now, if I'm honest with you, I wish sometimes that I didn't have to open my mouth. I wish that when it came to this plan, this locally grown plan of helping people come to know God, I wish that I didn't have to open my mouth and get specific and say, hey, this is who Jesus is and this is what Jesus has done. Sometimes I wish that I could just, you know, when my neighbors drive by, I could just, you know, smile and wave and be an all-around good guy, do random acts of kindness. You know, they just come to the conclusion, man, Elliot, Elliot's just a really, really, really good neighbor. And then as a result of them being like, man, Elliot's a good neighbor, you know what? I bet Jesus died for Elliot, and that's why Elliot's treating me this way. And I bet Elliot's experiencing forgiveness with God, and he's experiencing a restored relationship. And you know what? I bet God died for me too, and I could experience the same thing. I want that too. I want to become a Christian. I wish I could just, you know, treat them a certain way and not open my mouth and not get specific, and that's just the result that comes about. But that's not how it works. I mean, if if we don't open our mouths and get specific, how are they ever going to know why we're doing what we're doing? There's a lot of nice people in the world. There's a lot of people that do random acts of kindness. There's other religions that teach, hey, if you, if you want salvation, if you want eternal life, if you want God to be happy with you, then you've got to work really hard. You've got to be a really good person and do all these good things or God's not going to want anything to do with you. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not, that's not the good news that we're communicating to other people that, hey, you've got to work really hard to earn God's approval. There's a lot of people that believe that. And so they're doing really good things because they think, hey, this is my way to get God to like me. And there's people, you know, maybe your neighbor thinks, oh, well, they're, they're just being nice because well, they believe in karma. So, you know, they're doing good things to others because they want good things in return. Again, that's not the message that we're conveying. That's not what the Bible says. But how, how do they know that's not our motivation? I mean, increasingly, more and more people are be- believing in reincarnation. If you think about it, if you really believe that your good deeds towards others are going to prevent you from being an insect in the next life, you're going to be a really nice person. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So if, if they're ever going to come to a conclusion on, hey, Jesus cares about me, he gave his life for me, he wants a relationship with me, he's calling me to follow him, if they're ever going to come to believe that and understand that that's our motivation, then you and I are going to have to get specific Not just, hey, this is my idea, this is my opinion, but hey, this is what God has said. This is what he's revealed. We've got to be the messengers of his word. You know, through this series, we've talked about this barbecue box that we created. And the barbecue box is just a fun way for you to have an end of summer, get together with your neighbors, your friends, and share a meal. And the reason that we came up with this whole idea is because we understand we've been given the task of being the messengers, being the ones who sow the seed of God's word, tell other people the good news. And so that's kind of the idea in this barbecue box is that eventually this will get to a point we can build a relationship where we might be able to open our mouth and relay the truth to another person. And just sharing a meal and communicating that you care about somebody, that's an important step in the process. 
I mean, at your barbecue, if you host one of these, you might not have an opportunity to talk about Jesus at the meal. And that's okay, but eventually we do want to share this with them. Because something that's important for us to remember is real love always motivates us to share the truth. It does. If you really love somebody, you're going to tell them a truth. Really, I mean, it could be about anything in life. But real love is going to motivate us to share the truth. And so why not share the most important truth there is? The truth that Jesus loves them and he came and he died for them. So again, all of these efforts that we're doing, it's not just about, you know, oh, I've got this sales pitch. It's about, I really care about this person. I want to build a bridge into their life so that I have an opportunity to then tell them about the God who's changed my life. So for me, this might surprise you. I'm a little bit more on the introverted side. So for me, it, it takes some effort for me to kind of get out of my comfort zone and engage people I don't know in conversations. That does. It takes a little bit of work for me. I've got to kind of push myself out. I'm not just one of those people that I just walk into the room and I'm just like, hey, world, I'm here. You know, let's have a conversation. I'm more like I like to slip in the back, you know, and just kind of like feel things out before I engage. So this, honestly, this, this challenge of opening my mouth, this is a challenge for me. And so that means it's really helpful to have a plan. So there's kind of a process that I go through when it comes to trying to figure out how to share my faith. And it, it looks something like this. The first thing I want to do is I want to discover who they are. I want to discover who the other person is. If I meet somebody, if I meet one of my neighbors, I just want to figure out who this person is. So I'm going to ask them questions. What I've learned is people, when you start asking people questions, they, you know, it's not too hard to get them to start talking. Some people don't want to talk, but a lot of people do. So I'm going to start asking questions. I'm going to ask questions about their family. Where'd they grow up? How many siblings do they have? Do they still have family in the area? Just kind of, you know, do you have kids? Do your parents live in the area? Just kind of jumping off points to get to know them better. I'm going to ask them about their occupation. I'm going to ask them what they do for work. I'm going to ask them, you know, how long have you been doing that? How did you get into that? Was there any special training that was required? Just asking them questions. Really just getting to know them. Because again, this, this is motivated out of, I actually really care about the other person. This isn't just about me like, hey, I've got this task to do. I just got to get it over with and get out of here. It's, I really genuinely want to take an interest in their life and care about them and then eventually get to a point where I can tell them about the God who's transformed my life. So start with questions. Get to know them. Another thing that I want to do is I, I want to identify as a Christian. You know, as soon as possible and as appropriately as possible, I want to identify that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not just going to walk up to somebody and say, hi, my name is Elliot. I'm a Christian. That's not what I'm going to lead with, but eventually I want them to know that, hey, I go to church, and I'm a Christian, and I follow Jesus. So with one neighbor that I'm kind of getting to know, we were talking the other day, and we were talking about the NFL uh, football season getting ready to start, and as we were talking about it, he was telling me about his favorite team, and I don't really have an NFL team that I follow, so then we started kind of sharing each other's mutual dislike for the Dallas Cowboys. I know there are some Cowboy fans in the room, so I'm not going to try to look at them. But as we're talking about this mutual dislike for the Cowboys, I just threw out a simple, yeah, I always know the Cowboys are playing because all the Cowboy fans wear their stuff to church. Just real simple. He kind of laughed about it, and then, you know, we kind of kept moving on in the conversation. Just a real quick identifier, I go to church. He didn't ask me what I do for work. I would have told him. You know, sometimes I want to say I work for a nonprofit instead of being like, oh, I'm a pastor. But I would have told him what I do. I would have said, yeah, I'm a pastor. But we didn't get there yet. We're not there. But hey, at least he knows I go to church. I mean, for you in this barbecue box that we created, like these are, these are free. They're out there on the, on the patio. Grab one on your way out. There's two spices in there. There's one for a chicken, one for a steak recipe. So if you do this and you have some friends over and they try it and they go, man, this is really good. 
It's an opportunity for you to say, yeah, I got it from a chef at church. That's who provide us with these recipes, is a couple of chefs that go to church here. Just a really simple way to identify that you go to church, that you're a Christian, built into the box. But you want to do this. You want to figure out how can I identify with Jesus as quick as possible and as appropriately as possible as you get to know them. Another thing that you want to do, or that I want to do, is I want to introduce them to other Christians. Again, uh, there's some things working against me because I am a pastor. I'm kind of automatically, there's something a little weird about Elliot because he is a pastor. But what I want to do is I want him to see not just examples from my life, but I want him to see examples from other people's life of this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And this is what your life could look like if you follow Jesus. This is the change that he can bring. So maybe if I'm, you know, watching a game or having some people over that I know, maybe I'll invite a few people from church. And I'll, you know, people who I know, they might be able to relate to one another. They might have some commonalities. So that, so that my friends who don't know Jesus can get a broader picture of, oh, this is what it looks like to follow him. And this is the impact that he could have on his life. And if I do follow him, you know, I'm not all of a sudden become this super weird, awkward person, but I can still be relatable and still be normal. I mean, I want him to see this stuff. So I'm going to introduce him to other Christians. And then eventually, all of this is motivated. Again, love, love always motivates us to tell the truth. So the motivation of this is we want to eventually share the gospel. We want to tell them the truth of Jesus Christ came and he gave his life for you. He rose from the grave so that you could, you could live and have life and have forgiveness and have a restored relationship with God. He wants, to, he wants to transform your life. Eventually, I want to get to the place where I share that with him. So with, with one neighbor, um, he was going through some, some health issues and some marriage issues at the same time. He's not a Christian. And I, you know, somebody else told me about what was going on. And so I was coming home one day and he was, you know, leaving and we were kind of passing each other. So I just stopped him and was like, hey, you know, I heard a little bit about what's going on. What's going on? So, you know, he shared with me a little bit. And then I just asked him, I decided to take a risk and say, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And he said no, but he said later in the day, he said, hey, I've got to go get the kids. But when I come home, you know, shoot me a text, you know, and you can pray for me then. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I put a reminder on my phone and you know, later that night, I sent him a text, and then I decided, he, you know, he responded, he's like, yeah, cruise on over, and so when I was headed over there, I was like, okay, I'm not just going to walk in and pray for him. I believe that is significant, but when I get there, I, before I pray, I want to tell him why I'm praying for him, what I believe God can do, and the change I believe God can bring in his life. I don't know what God's going to do in his marriage. I don't know what God's going to do with his health, but I do, there's a, there's a specific reason that I'm praying to God and asking Jesus to help in the situation. So I got there, and this real simply, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't perfect, it wasn't super eloquent, it was kind of awkward, honestly, but I, you know, I sowed the seed, I planted the message, hey, this is who God is, this is what God could do, and then I prayed for him. After I prayed for him, it wasn't this amazing moment where he's like, Elliot, right now, I want to become a Christian. <laughs> Nothing happened. He said, thanks, I appreciate it, and we went on, I mean, I went back home, he went on with his evening. It's still, as far as I can tell, he hasn't made a decision to follow Jesus, but I planted the seed. I opened them at my mouth. I spent time getting to know him and communicating that I care about him. And then when the opportunity presented itself, I took advantage and moved on that opportunity to tell him, hey, I, I, I care about you. And so I want to tell you the truth about the most important thing in my life. Same for you. So the people that God's put in your life, you're, if you want to be a part of his plan to help them come to know him, expect to open your mouth. If we don't open our mouths and tell people what God's already said, how are they going to enter into a relationship with him? Somebody opened our, their mouths to share with us. Now we're the ones that get to open our mouths to share with other people. So as we go through this plan, expect to open your mouth. Something Jesus reveals. 
Another thing that you can expect as you participate in this is you can expect to face opposition. This isn't one of those warm, fuzzy ones, you know, like expect everything to just be perfect and easy and everything to feel good. No, Jesus actually highlights this important reality. There's some opposition that we can face. Now, for me, I've kind of already alluded to this, but I'm a pretty big sports fan. It's pretty easy for me to talk sports with just about anybody. I mean, you know, college football just started up yesterday, kind of the official start of the season. So I'll admit, I will schedule my Saturdays, if I can, around when my team is playing. And I'll kind of figure out how can we navigate our Saturdays so that I can get in front of a TV and watch the game. I really enjoy sports. And it's easy for me to talk to people about sports. I mean, I can get in a conversation about sports with just about anybody. And a question that I'll hear from some to time, time to time is, well, if you can talk to someone about football, why isn't it just as natural to talk to them about Jesus? And it's a good question, but it's actually a little more complex than talking sports. I mean, when you try to share your faith with somebody, there's a little bit more going on than just when you're talking about, you know, the Cowboys or the Eagles or the Chargers or whatever. There's a little bit more going on. Jesus points that out. He says this in Mark 4:15. He says, some people, they're like seed along the path where the word was sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. He, he's pointing out several different things. He's pointing out actually forces that are working against us when we're sharing our faith. He refers to their heart as a path. A path is a piece of soil that's really, really hard. It's really compact, and so the seed just lands on top of it and can't get inside the soil to grow. So what he's referring to, again, is somebody's heart. For somebody's heart to be that hard to where it just, nothing can get inside of it, that resistance had to have built up over time. That means that they, they just don't want to hear what God has to say on a topic. They don't want to hear God's words. They're, they're resistant to it. They're opposed to it in some way. He goes on. It's, it's not just opposition that we could face from other people. Jesus says this. He says, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. What Jesus is saying there is he's, he's really kind of, he, he doesn't get into it in a lot of details, but he's kind of pulling back the curtain for us to see that when we talk to other people, there's a lot more going on than just us and the other person and what we can see. He's kind of pulling back the curtain and revealing, hey, you're actually in the middle of this war that Satan's waging against God and God's people. And Satan will do anything he can to keep people from making a decision to follow Jesus. He is very committed to that. And so Jesus isn't saying this to, to scare us or prevent us from taking action. He's doing this to say, okay, this is the reality of the situation. So when you go and you share your faith, you relay this message that can transform a life, don't be surprised when you experience opposition. Don't be surprised by it. It's out there. And when you experience it, don't let it stop you. Don't let it silence you. Continue to love, continue to pray, continue to look for opportunities to share. It's, it's out there. It's something that we can expect. We can expect to face opposition. He goes on as he explains it. There's another thing we can expect to experience. He says we can expect to experience disappointment. This is another one of those, like, come on, Jesus, really? Like, it's awkward enough to share our faith, and it's challenging enough for most of us that really we're going to experience opposition and disappointment? In the, in the parable, there's, there's four types of soil Jesus identifies, really four responses to God's word. And as you read through it, you realize that three of them are unproductive. Three of them don't produce any fruit. There's three different responses. There's, there's the path, there's the one among the weeds, there's the one in the rocks. They don't produce any fruit. And so what, what you find over time is there are some individuals who it looks like they're really excited about what Jesus can do, 
But then over time, as you watch their life and, and live with them, you realize that they never really made a decision to follow him. And that can be really disappointing to see happen. He says this in verse 16. He says, Others, like seed sown in the rocky places, they hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. They're excited. Oh, this is awesome. They agree. This is good news. This good news about who Jesus is and what he's done, there's excitement about it. They receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Because they have no root. For a plant, what, a, what roots do is they allow the plant to gather resources beyond their natural environment, beyond what's like immediately surrounding them. And so what a plant will do is it'll send the roots down deep and it'll, it'll draw water or draw nutrients so that that plant can stay alive and produce fruit, even in difficult environments. And when it comes to being a Christian, that's what faith is. Faith is really the root of the Christian, exper- or of the Christian commitment. So what our faith does is it, it goes deep. And so when we encounter situations that are less than ideal, circumstances that are really difficult, it's our faith that allows us to keep moving forward to keep growing and keep producing fruit. But like Jesus says when he describes this individual, he says, there's no root. A real commitment of faith was never made. So when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, another way of saying that, when they experience circumstances and situations where they they realize there's a real cost to following Jesus, when they experience situations where they realize, oh, so wait, if I I really am going to follow him, that pattern of life from my past, I'm going to have to address that? Or if I'm really going to follow him, that thing that I was living for that I really wanted, I'm going to have to now change direction and there's other priorities I'm going to have to have in life? It says they experience that cost and what Jesus says, he says they quickly fall away. They encounter the cost and they decide, that's not what I want. I don't, I don't want to follow him. And the reality is, if you've been sharing and investing in a person, you see this happen in their life, that can be so disappointing. That can be so discouraging to see that happen in somebody's life that you really care about. He goes on. He says this in verse 18. He says, still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, come in, chokes the word, making it unfruitful. The idea is there's, there's change. Something, something appears to be happening. Something you're, you're watching, it's like, oh, I think they're getting it. I think they're growing. I think they're moving. But then they're, they were just all along, they were preoccupied. There was something else. I mean, the worries of this, of this life, think about all, I mean, I have two kids, and I've got a third on the way. All I got to do is open up my internet browser, and I'm bombarded with all the things that I could worry about in this life. There's so many other things that we could worry about instead of following Jesus. You know, he says the deceitfulness of money. Money really makes all the promises that God makes. It just can't back any of them up. It promises security, it promises happiness, it promises long life, it promises health, it promises that people will like you and you'll have friends. It promises all these things. It just can't back any of them up. But it, it looks really impressive. And the desire for other things is just simply like, hey, there's just this whole other group. I mean, just, just name it. There's all these other things that at the end of the day, it, I never really wanted Jesus. I actually just wanted that. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I, you know, yeah, I know I said I made this commitment to follow Jesus, but I really don't want him. I want, I want this over here. That's what I want. And again, if you're sharing with this person, you're investing in them, this is somebody who's close to you, you see that happen in their life, man, how disappointing, how discouraging to see that. That can be really discouraging. 
And so what, what can happen to us, Jesus, again, he's, he's, he's helping us understand these are some, some things that you can expect to experience. What can happen to us is when we encounter opposition or when we experience disappointment in any area of life, what's a natural response? To give up, to quit moving forward. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, you, you, you've shared your faith, you've taken the risk, you've put it out there, you know, and then all of a sudden, it's, it's like they bite back at you and they attack you for it. Well, I'm not sharing with them anymore. Or, you know, you share with somebody and it looks like something's happening and all this excitement's growing only to see that, man, something else was more important to them all along and they never really made a commitment. That can really hurt and be disappointing. So we can just use that and kind of come to a final conclusion of, you know what, they're never going to get it. They're never going to believe. Or I don't even know if this really changes lives. I mean, I don't even know if this is worth my time and my effort. I don't really want to do this anymore. I mean, it can easily make us think, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to share my faith anymore. I'm just going to keep quiet. Yeah, I'll be a nice person, but I'm not going to risk opening my mouth. I don't want to face opposition. I don't want to experience disappointment. If Jesus could speak into those thoughts, what he would say is he would say, don't give up. Because the very next thing that he lists in this parable that we can expect, the very next thing we can expect is surprising returns. We can expect surprising returns when we share our faith. Not because we're so amazing and persuasive and shared it perfectly, but because of who God is and the fact that he always pursues. That's what it says in verse 20 when Jesus explains this. He says, others, like seed sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Back in um, 1970, my dad was a freshman at Kansas State University. And he's a, you know, comes from a small town, a farm kid, moves into this dorm, you know, an all-male floor. And if you've ever lived in dorm life, you kind of know what that's like to get into. You know what it's like to live on a, a hall with just like, you know, tons of other 18-year-olds and the wildness that can take place. So my dad moved in there, and he wasn't a Christian, and he had this neighbor, this guy that lived next to him named Terry. And Terry, he said, was really loud. He was the guy that he came off the stairs onto the floor and everybody knew he was there instantly. I mean, they had cinder block walls, but you could hear Terry through the walls. He was just so loud. And he, not only was he really loud, but he was always telling jokes and talking about stuff that you were just kind of like, oh, I did not want to hear that. I do not want to know about that stuff. So he moves in, you know, my dad's kind of like trying to kind of stay away from him because he's, you know, kind of this obnoxious guy. But then pretty, pretty soon into their freshman fall semester, Terry actually becomes a Christian. So my dad, not directly, but indirectly because Terry's voice traveled, my dad started to notice changes in his life. He started to notice that he talked about different stuff, that he was behaving differently. So he's kind of watching this at a distance. And then one day my dad is, was sitting at his desk in his room and he, he got a phone call and that was back when they had you know, the dial-up landlines in every room and they'd have the directory and you could call. For some, like if you're under 25 maybe, you're like, what? That makes no sense. But they had that in the dorm rooms. <laughs> and you just get these phone calls when you're sitting at your desk. And so he's sitting at his desk and the phone rings, he answers it. And it's a group of, um, it's a Christian organization, group of students, and they were doing spiritual surveys. So they were calling students just asking, hey, what, we just want to ask your, what you believe about these different topics. So they you know, said, hey, can we set up a time to do this survey? And my dad had some free time, and he's like, sure, whatever. So he goes to the student union to meet up with them. And when he walks into where he's supposed to meet with them, guess who's sitting there waiting to meet with him? Terry, the guy that lives next door to him, who he's seen all that stuff happen in his life over the, 
last few weeks and months. So he sits down with Terry and this other guy, and they ask my dad a series of questions for the survey. You know, and he answers them. And then at the end of it, they said, Dave, that's his name, said, Dave, could we, uh, could we tell you about Jesus? And he's being polite, you know, so he's like, sure, you know, tell me about him. And so they tell him about Jesus. They explain the good news and who Jesus is and what he's done and how he can change a life and the sin that he's forgiven. And my dad said at the time that he didn't respond. He didn't let on any indication that inside he was being convicted. On the outside, he was just like, okay, thanks, and got up and went on. But inside, he said he could just not get rid of the conviction. He said it just hit home. And he was like, that's true, and that described me, and that's what I need. So then later the semester, he went home for Thanksgiving, and he still couldn't shake that. So he decided, you know what? I, I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to decide to follow Jesus. So at Thanksgiving, over his freshman year, he decided to become a follower of Jesus, enter into that new relationship and experience the change. You know, what's amazing is I became a Christian because my dad told me about Jesus. And all my siblings, I have three siblings, all of us became Christians because my dad shared with us the message. He lived it out, he modeled it, and then he spoke into our lives and said, hey, this is who Jesus is and this is what he could do. Now there's nine grandchildren in the family. And so far, two of them, two of my nephews have made decisions to follow Jesus. And we're praying for the rest of them. The same thing would happen. Some of my dad's siblings became Christians. And now their families are walking with Jesus. Their spouses became Christians. And their kids are Christians. Because my dad was faithful to open his mouth and share with them. I mean, over this lifetime, I mean, my dad is now almost 70. And so this happened when he was 18. Over this lifetime of him just faithfully sharing, I know people who are living all around the world for various reasons who are walking with Jesus because my dad opened his mouth and told them this is who Jesus Christ is and this is how he can transform a life. This is what he's done for you. Yeah, here's what's even cooler though. When we get to heaven, I really think there's gonna be a line of people. I've never met Terry. I think there's gonna be a line of people that go up to Terry and say, hey Terry, thanks for being bold and sharing your faith as a freshman at Kansas State University. Because the person that you shared with, that was good soil that multiplied 30, 60, 100 times. And now generations are walking with Jesus because you took the risk and you opened your mouth. What's amazing is here at Seabreeze, I know of a lot of families that are the same. I know of a lot of families here where it it was one individual who decided to take the risk and say, you know what, yeah, there might be opposition, and yeah, there might be some disappointment that I faced, but you know what, I'm trusting in what God can do, and so I'm going to push through. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to do my job of spreading the message. I'm the sower in the story. I'm spreading the message, helping people come to know Jesus, so I'm going to do my job. And now I've seen whole families enter into a relationship with Jesus because one individual took the risk and shared their faith. I know other families where it's like you can start to see the change coming. You know, again, it was, it was one person who took it seriously and communicated it, and then all of a sudden you can start to see this spread just going and growing. All types of stories just like that. Because like Jesus says in the story, he says, hey, when we go and when we do our part and when we sow broadly, we don't control the results. We do know that there are going to be times where people reject it. Maybe they, they reject us. We know there's going to be times where it it looks so good and so promising, but it's like, for whatever reason, they're not deciding to follow him. But then there's going to be other times where it falls on good soil, and what does it do? It multiplies. And so then who knows? I mean, he says 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And you think about the number of people that could be changed by us opening our mouths and sharing the good news. 
one of the hardest things for us in this process, when we go and open our mouths, the soil is the heart, and we don't have the eyes to see another person's heart. We can see what's going on on the outside. I wonder what Terry and that other guy thought when my dad stood up and walked out of that meeting. I wonder if they thought, oh, Dave, you know, he's got a hard heart. He's never going to get this. Or, you know, Dave, you know, he's focused on other things. They didn't know about the conviction he was experiencing. Same thing with the people in your life that you're sharing with. Our job is to, to, to communicate the message. We're not the, the soil scientists that are analyzing the soil and figuring out here's the circumstances and the things that need to change in order for them to make a decision. Our job is we love and we pray and we share. We open our mouths and we get specific. The decision is between them and the other person. Our job is, hey, we're going to take the risk and we're going to share. So let's share. Let's open our mouths and get specific. And because we really care about them, let's tell them about the God that's changed us so that they can experience the change that we're experiencing. If we want to be a part of the plan, we've got to realize we're going to have to open our mouths. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be some disappointment. But ultimately, we can, we can expect surprising returns, not because of us, because of who God is and the power of his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you include us in this plan. I thank you that our days and our, our years and our lives can be spent investing in something that is of eternal significance and something that seems so small. I mean, planting a seed, it seems like such a small thing. Telling somebody about you and explaining the change that we're experiencing, taking those risks, just identifying with you, it seems like such a small thing. But God, you are the one that has power. There's power in your words. There's power when we relay the truth. And we don't know what the results are going to be, but God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to open our mouths and tell other people the truth of what you've done. Father, I pray that we would see many, many more stories of change. In Jesus' name, amen.